You may be seated. My name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here at Adventure. And uh, as much as it is a privilege for me uh, to get to speak to you uh, occasionally, I am even more excited this morning to be able to introduce you uh, to a guest speaker, Ali, who is here this morning. Uh, as some of you know, I spend about half my time here at Adventure and about half my time working with an organization called Stadia, helping to start new churches all across the country. And one of my responsibilities right now is to help start new churches in the Bay Area specifically. And so a few months ago, I was over there uh, having lunch with a pastor of a very large church and talking about uh, starting new churches. He says, you know, there's this guy that's been coming to my church, and I really like him, and I'd really love to have him on my team, but I I'm really not sure he's the kind of guy that's a team player. Now, that's not a negative. He said, I think he's the kind of guy that really needs to lead his own team. And I said, you know what, Steve, I know what to do with guys like that. We help them start new churches. And so uh, I got introduced to Ali, uh, to his wife Yasmin that's here this morning. We've been getting to know them over the last few months. They've been making preparations to start a new church in the South Bay. And I just invited him to come and to speak to you today. And I know um, you're going to be as excited as I am that, that he's here. So Ali, great to have you. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't get a clap in the morning service, so thank you for that. <laughs> I <laughs> feel honored. Uh, you guys are in a sermon series, Adventure Church, called Meet Up, and the series is about what can we learn from Jesus when he meets up with us? How do we love? How do we interact with other people? The title of today's sermon is Jesus Doesn't Meet Up. What do you do when you expect God to show up and he doesn't? When you expect him to come every time you pray and he doesn't? And so today we're going to learn what do we do with our doubts? What do we do when the things that we feel are drawing us away from God. So if you can bow your heads, let's pray and let's begin. Uh, thank you, Father God, for this time together, Lord. Uh, thank you, Jesus, for everything you've done for us. Um, uh, I just pray, Lord, that this time would be profitable, that we would uh, not just get information, Lord, but that we would be transformed by your Spirit this morning. Holy Spirit, speak through me. Uh, speak to the people, God, that are coming to hear from you, Holy Spirit. I just pray, Father, that whether we know you intimately or we are seeking after you, God, that you would speak to us this morning. God, we, we believe that you still speak, Lord. Uh, speak through me, through your children. Uh, make this uh, profitable in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've been pastoring for about five years now. Did most of that with youth ministry. Was an associate pastor for a little bit. Uh, I've played the senior pastor role a little bit. And every once in a while, I'll, I'll, after a sermon, someone will come up to me and be like, can we, um, can we please speak privately? Uh, and they never want to ask their questions in a life group or in front of other people on a Sunday. They want to get alone. And uh, when we finally do get alone, they're, they, uh, they kind of look both ways and they're kind of nervous. And they're like, do you, um, do you ever doubt? And they, uh, they kind of expect the Ned Flanders response. If you don't know who Ned Flanders is, he's from The Simpsons. Uh, super spiritual, hyper, always loves Jesus, no, never denies him. He's like, oh, of course I believe. I, I never have doubts. I can do all things through Christ. And uh, and they're always shocked when they say, of course, I'm normal, just like you. Um, and if we're honest this morning, we will we'll all admit that this is one thing that we all share, is that we, we have doubts, we have questions that we don't have answers to. And um, specifically myself in this season, I, I, I've been an engineer full-time for the last 10 years. I've been pastoring on the side. Uh, I, I love serving Jesus. I love um, being able to tell people about him. And uh, these last couple, I would say, Months have been season of preparation where God has been calling me to leave my engineering job and go full-time. And, 
And I have to be honest, these, these are scary thoughts to, to walk away from a cush salary and, and, and you know, make peanuts. And who, who wants that, right? Um, uh, but the fears are real. The, the, the options will be limited. Uh, there's a dark side that, that many people don't want to talk about ministry, that there was a, there's a pressure on the family and on the kids that, what do you do? Um, and I'm scared. And if I'm honest with you this morning, I have doubts. And what I want to share with you is that you're just like me. Maybe you're in college and, and you're away from your youth group, you're away from your youth pastor, and, and he's not there to encourage you. And, and you're surrounded by professors who are questioning into God that you believe exists. And they say he doesn't. And the Bible that you believe in, they say, is not even real. And you begin to doubt. Maybe you're in a business and, and you see all of your competitors, all of your peers lying and they inflate their resume or they inflate their salary when they switch positions and, and you're honest and it's costing you to obey and, and, and to follow Jesus and you have doubts. Or maybe you're seeking God this morning and you're wondering, can he be a God that you can worship and love and you wonder why there's so much suffering and evil in the world and you have doubts. And what we're going to find out this morning is that we all have doubts. It's not whether we have them, it's what we do with them. And, and they're opportunities that, to, to draw us near to God or to pull us away. And we're going to find out a, a man named John the Baptist, and he has doubts. And before you understand the, the magnitude of his doubts, you have to understand the magnitude of who he is. How is he related to Jesus? So if you have your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 11. Say, I'm here when you're there. And if you don't have a a Bible or a flat screen device will we'll pray for you, but it's on the, it's on the board. Uh, starting in verse 2, chapter 11. It says, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent, he sent his disciples, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? It's an interesting question. Who is John? John is the cousin of Jesus. This guy uh, was born a few months before Jesus. His, he was raised in a pastor's home. His father was a pastor. His father's father was a pastor. Uh, he is surrounded by Christian ministers, and so it's natural for John to become, you know, a pastor himself. Uh, but he's kind of weird. He's kind of eccentric. Before, you know, the hippies started questioning corporate, you know, clothes being made in China, John was the first hipster to wear, you know, camel's clothes. And uh, before people started blogging about, you know, being vegan and eating gluten-free food, John, you know, kind of ate honey and locusts, and I call him the first hipster before, you know, the word hipster even began, and uh, this guy is very different. He's very unique. He only has one sermon. Uh, it's the same sermon every week, repent. Uh, this week is verse four, part 14, come back next week, part 15, and his ministry only lasted about six months, and it's very different. Uh, he doesn't plant his church in, in the city center. He doesn't go to uh, where people are. He goes to the wilderness. There's no roads that lead out there. There's nothing about this guy. He's so weird that we would want to go see him. But he plants a mega church in six months. And not just a few people, a few thousand people come out to see him. The whole country is talking about him. He's on Facebook. He's on Twitter. He's trending. All, everyone is Snapchatting and Instagramming about this guy. He's the number one downloaded sermon in the country. And People are, who is this guy? And, and if you ask John, he's like, I'm, I'm not the CEO. I'm, I'm the guy who brings the CEO coffee. I pick up his laundry. I'm, I'm not even worthy of being a servant. I can't even hold his shoes. He's, 
the real CEO is Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm his assistant, and I'm not even on the org chart, really. Uh, many of you who are familiar with sports will understand this principle of John being the fullback and Jesus being the running back. John clears the path. He, he removes the linebackers who, whose words hit hard. You know, they, they're, they're mean, they're mean-spirited, and John goes after these guys first, and the, the running back gets all the glory. The running back is on TV. He's on the cover of Sports Illustrated. He gets the $100 million contract, and everyone talks about them on Sports Illustrated. I mean, we, we know running backs. We know Emmett Smith. We know Barry Sanders, the greats. No one knows their fullbacks, and that's just the way John wants it. He wants no one to talk about him. He's after making someone else famous. He wants everyone to talk about Jesus. And one day during his ministry, Jesus shows up, his cousin, and before Peter declares that he is the Christ, before the heavens even open up and the Spirit of God descends upon Jesus, showing that he's the Messiah, that he's the anointed one, John was the first man to say, there's the Lamb of God. There's the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sins of the world. He had a deep, intimate relationship and revelation of who Jesus was. And he was preparing the way. And one day, Jesus showed up and John said, stop following me, stop downloading my sermons and follow him, and everyone unfollowed him on Facebook, and stopped listening to his tweets on Twitter, and everyone starts following Jesus, and that's just the way John wants it. He wants Jesus to be famous. So you need to know that John is, is not your CEO kind of Christian. He doesn't show up on Christmas and Easter only, you know. This guy loves Jesus. He obeys Jesus. He serves Jesus, and he's in prison, and he's scared. And you don't understand why he's in prison. So there's this man named Herod, and he's so evil that this guy killed his wife, his three children, and his mother-in-law. And he didn't want his children to have the same glory and power that he did, so he divided up his kingdom among his children, who he named after himself, Herod of Antipas and Herod of Philip. And he didn't want them to have the same power, so he divided up Palestine. And these guys are just as evil as their father. And one of the brothers is jealous of his other brother, that Herod of Antipas is married to this woman named Herodias, and the history records that she's a knockout, and no one knows why she's with him, and it's kind of like my wife, I, I say she's my, the knockout, why is she with me, you know, like, and the other brother seduced her and, and, and convinced her to leave and commit adultery and, and marry him, and what do you do when you're this young 30-year-old pastor who uses cultural events? You don't fear anyone. You don't, you're not scared of the authority. So you use current cultural events in your sermons. And when people download your sermons by the thousands and, and you show up in that sermon, you're going to be upset because it's not in a positive way. And so Herodias, this woman, is furious. She begs her husband. And many of you men know this. Uh, if your wife nags you enough, you'll do anything to stop her. And she, she begs him, are you going to convince the authorities to arrest him? Are you going to do it today? And she taps on his shoulder every morning. Why don't you just text message the soldiers, arrest him, maybe this afternoon. There's, it's not even football season. Do it right now. Like, th- you have so much free time. And Herod, even though he's afraid of the people, even though he, he knows this is a man of God, he, he wilts under the pressure of his wife and throws John in prison. And even though John is in prison, He's in chains. He's a few days from being executed. He's scared. He's about to die. And the things he never doubted before, he's doubting now. And this is the first principle that I want to teach you that we all doubt. 
that it's not just the spiritual defects, the, the, the weak people that doubt. It's normal in Christianity to have doubts. Even the whole Kogans of the faith, like John, doubt. And what's so encouraging is that God puts his doubts in scriptures. God inspired the Bible. God puts the prayers of doubtful men so that you and I could be encouraged. And this is nothing new. If you, if you read the Bible from cover to cover, you see it's filled with men, filled with men who doubt God. Job had his children taken away from him and his business taken away. And he's basically saying, God, I, I have trouble believing you. David, for over a decade, is running from a crazy king who won't give up his power because David is the real king. And, and the Psalms are filled with prayers of lament, prayers of a, almost a 12-year-old lamenting, like, why is this happening to me? Why is this guy trying to kill me? And he says, I have doubts, God. Jeremiah, who I call the, the, the drama queen prophet, you know, he, 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 he laments, why was I even born? God, rapture me. God, I don't want to be here. Why? No one listens. Hashtag, you know, take me away. And... His prayers sound like a 12-year-old. It's like, really, guy? Like, you're a drama queen. And he doubts. And this should be so encouraging for us that, you know, Ned Flanders wants to elbow us and say, just believe. But it's not true. We doubt because we're human, because we're normal. And what's so beautiful is that God doesn't get angry. And we're going to see his words. It's so encouraging. He doesn't yell doesn't say, John, after all the revelation that I've shown you, after everything that I've given you and shown you, you're going to doubt me now? It's almost, it's almost encouraging the loving way that Jesus responds, filled with patience, filled with love. And, you know, maybe you're new here today and you're struggling with following Jesus and, and you have all this evidence about God who created the universe and, and you struggle with what God says about the universe, and it's hard for you to realize that God said bang in a, in a big way, and you have questions, and you have doubts. Maybe you're in college, and you're realizing everyone drinks from a red cup. The, the girls seem to be allergic to clothes, and your professors are, 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 are attacking your faith, and even the Bible that you believe is infallible, and you have doubts. Maybe you're in a marriage, and your spouse doesn't believe what you believe and you're suffering, and your friends say, you should be happy. Why are you with him? And you begin to doubt. Or maybe your child is sick, and you've prayed the prayers, you've texted family, and you've done everything. You've gone to all the doctors, and doors keep closing, and the answers aren't there. And with every passing day, the, the doubt becomes more, and, and you have doubts. Or maybe you're trying to get pregnant and the pain of no every month causes you to doubt if God loves you, if he even knows. And what I'm trying to encourage you is, is, is part of the problem is we believe that anytime we feel inconvenience, every time that we have setbacks or delays, that, that this is not God's will. And, and part of the problem is how we view God we believe God wants to give us happy meal, and we, we sing Pharrell song, because I'm happy, because, you know, and we believe that God is there to make me happy, and, and when I'm not happy, he somehow fails me. And, and when I doubt that God can't be trusted, and I, I can't believe him, and it's a dangerous place to be when, when you believe God is there to serve you, 
when he's a, some sort of spiritual vending machine where you put in your prayer coins and, and you ask for a Coke because you know, only demons drink Pepsi and, 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 and you want him to do what you want and you turn Jesus, the King of Kings, into Burger King. It's not his way, it's, it's your way. And you doubt because he doesn't do what you expect him to do. He doesn't answer your prayers. He doesn't show up. John is in prison. And he's telling his cousin, why am I here? And there will be times where the God that you follow will act in contradiction to the character that you believe he possesses. And he will not answer your prayers. And he won't show up. And you will doubt. And I need to warn you, sometimes Jesus will do things you don't expect. And he will disappoint you. And his birth, Jesus was born in a feeding trough and they expected the Messiah to come with power, with dignity, with glory. Why aren't you born in John Hopkins Hospital? Why aren't you in the most most luxurious hotel in Jerusalem? He's in a feeding trough and they were disappointed with Jesus. They expected Jesus to be born of a natural birth, a one mother, one father, but he was born of a, a virgin and they didn't expect it. They, they didn't expect that his mother would be a 14-year-old girl with braces listening to One Direction and Justin Bieber, and, and, and they were disappointed. And, and sometimes Jesus disappoints. And one time when Jesus was 12, his family made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem to make the yearly sacrifice. And when they decided to go home, Jesus didn't tell his mom he was staying, and he stayed back to play spiritual chess with the seminary students and the professors and the pastors, and he was winning, of course, and for three days, his mom didn't know what, where he was. And many of you have lost your child even for five minutes. And the terror that overtakes you is, is great. Jesus' mom didn't know where he was for three days. And she shows up. Jesus, where are you? What were you doing? Why didn't you tell your parents? Jesus like, chill, mom. Like, I had to be here. I have to do my father's business. Didn't you know who I am? And he disappointed his parents. At the beginning of his ministry, he goes to his home church where everyone knows him, where they played soccer with him, where they went to high school with him, where he's known as the child born out of wedlock. And he picks up the scroll and he reads the words of Isaiah that the Messiah is going to set the captives free, that he's going to take away our shame and clothe us in righteousness. And Jesus says that today this powerful prophecy is fulfilled in him. And they're like, who are you? And the the Bible records that they were angry with him. They wanted to kill him because sometimes Jesus disappoints. Many of you husbands know the disappointment of this next one where Jesus in his ministry goes to his disciples' house, Peter, and his mother-in-law is sick and Jesus heals his mother-in-law and Peter's like, why would you do that? (laughs) Right? They say this is why Jesus was denied by Peter three times. All the commentaries, it's not me, the commentaries say this. And Jesus sometimes will disappoint. There was one time where Jesus was teaching a crowd of 5,000 men, not even including the women and children, and with two pieces of sashimi and some pita bread, he fed the multitudes. And they were amazed at his miracles. And they continued following him, not because they wanted bread, not because they wanted the bread of life, they wanted food. 
And Jesus knew their hearts, so he tried to leave, and they followed him. And they said, we want that bread. Jesus said, I have another bread for you, bread from heaven. And they said, we want this bread. Is there cheese on top with jalapenos? Because that's the, our favorite bread. And Jesus said, no, I'm, I'm the bread of life. Come to me if you're hungry and eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you talking about? And the Bible says that not a few, not one or two, but many of his followers left him. Why? Because Jesus disappoints. Sometimes he does things that we don't expect him to do. See, many babies have been born that one day become kings. Only one king chose to be born as a baby in humility. Kings and dignitaries and celebrities, they fly in their G6 and their brigade of escalades of royalty. Jesus comes to Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And the crowds come out and they say, Hosanna, which means God saves. And they expected the Messiah to do things now. And they were disappointed, so disappointed. By the end of the week, those same people were saying, crucify him. Because sometimes Jesus disappoints. He doesn't do what you expect him to do. But there was one person Jesus never disappointed. One person who Jesus always pleased, and that's God the Father. And you need to know that God didn't come to serve us. We're saved, redeemed, made men, brand new, gifted with spiritual gifts to serve him. He's the king of kings. He's not Burger King. And sometimes we will be like John in our personal prisons. It's the personal prisons. It's not when our friend's child is sick. It's when our child is sick that we doubt God. It's not when our friend loses a spouse. It's when we lose a spouse. It's not when our, our friend loses a loved one. It's when we lose a loved one that we begin to doubt things that we would never doubt. John's in prison, and he's saying, Jesus, please set me free. And he knows Jesus has the power to set him free. And he's wondering, does Jesus even care? Does he even know? Does he even love me? And the doubts begin to fill his heart. Does God, how could a loving God do? And you fill in the blank. So John sends word. What's the solution? What do we do with our doubts? Because we can do one of two things. We can pretend they're not there. And there are books being written about uh, how many of the millennials, those under 30, uh, a book by a professor at Fuller, written just recently called Sticky Faith, which is recording why so many young people are leaving the faith. Why this is so important is because the number one reason why many young people are leaving the faith is unexpressed doubt. We're afraid to share that we struggle. We're afraid of Ned Flanders nudging us and saying, just believe. But what's such good news, what should encourage you this morning is God is, Jesus is not like Ned Flanders. He expects you to doubt, and he welcomes it, and he wants to give you a promise this morning that if you would bring your doubts to him, he would change your perspective. And we're going to see Jesus' words here in uh, John, Matthew chapter 11, verse 3. And Jesus says, in the most loving way, go back and report to John what you hear and see the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. 
Blessed. This is almost like a beatitude. Have, you're familiar with the beatitudes? Blessed are the poor in spirit, so they shall see the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who thirst and hunger after righteousness. Jesus is almost giving us a beatitude. Blessed are those who don't stumble on account of me. That word stumble is probably better translated offense. Are you offended? Are you disappointed with God not acting and doing what you expect him to do? And is it causing you to doubt his love? And what's so powerful about these Jesus' answer is that he doesn't move. See, rabbis in those days, they, they teach sitting down. Jesus doesn't even get up and move in the general direction of his cousin. He doesn't even send his word to set John free. There's a, a centurion who comes in the gospels that says, Jesus, would you please set my, my servant? He's sick. Would you please? You don't even need to come. Ain't nobody got time for that. Just, just stay where you are and, and send forth your word and, and, and heal my servant. And, and Jesus does. And, and John doesn't get that. Jesus doesn't send his word. And there's times in the, the, the book of Acts where Jesus sends his angels to release the prisoners and John is hoping maybe what Jesus will do that. They'll, they'll come hit my chains and I'll be set free but Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, Jesus points to not what he expects John to do but he points to who he is. And this is the second principle that God wants to teach us this morning that doubts are opportunities. Doubts are opportunities for greater intimacy with God or distance from him. Uh, the myth is that all of your questions will be answered. The myth, the doubt, the myth that everyone will say is that uh, you have to pretend that your doubts are there, that you, you're not supposed to carry them, but the, the truth is that we all have doubts, and sometimes they aren't answered. And I've been doing ministry long enough to realize that some people get frustrated with Jesus. The cost of following him becomes so great, the, the burden becomes so unbearable that they, they walk away. And... And they go do things that they would never do. And, and when they come back, they come back with scars. And their questions are still unanswered. They just know they're never going to do that again. And I want to encourage you this, this morning that you don't need to pretend. There's nothing wrong with you if you have doubts. But you can bring them to Jesus. Because when you bring them to him, your faith, there's a benefit to the doubt that you can be Know him more in a more intimate way. And what Jesus is saying to John is take your eyes off your circumstance. Take your eyes off what you want me to do and put them on who I am. And Jesus is saying in the most subtle way, keep following me. Aristotle told his disciples, follow my teachings. Socrates told his disciples, follow my teachings. Buddha told his disciples, follow my meditations. Confucius told his disciples, follow my, my sayings. Muhammad told his disciples, follow my pillars of faith. Jesus says, follow me. Because in Christianity, you can never separate the teachings of Jesus from the person of Jesus. Because it's not a book that we follow, it's a person. You can never separate the teachings from the person. Christianity is different than every other world religion. Ned Flanders wants to give you truth propositions. Jesus wants to give you himself. Jesus even says this to the Pharisees. You search the scriptures hoping that in them you will find eternal life. And Jesus says, but all of them point to me. Ned Flanders wants to give you verses. Jesus wants to give you himself. And when you allow God, if you allow God to take your doubts 
and use them as an opportunity for greater intimacy, he will change your perspective. And you will realize that sometimes parents do things that kids don't expect and don't want. If you don't believe me, tell your two-year-old or three-year-old, we're going to the dentist today. And they will scream, you don't love me, mommy. I don't love you either. And they will doubt your love. And John is in prison saying, I doubt your love, Jesus. I want to be free. Release me. And Jesus is saying, I need to set you free in another way. You expect me to set you free, I expect to die. And I need to set you free from not a physical prison that's temporary. I need to set you free from a spiritual prison that if I don't set you free from, will be eternal. And you begin to understand that if someone loves you enough to die for you, you can trust them always. They always have the best for you. And you begin to realize if you allow the doubts to bring you closer to God, that he's always giving you what you don't deserve. That God never treats us the way our sins deserve. That then you understand why Job, at the end of his life, can say, God gives and God takes away, but he's still good, and I'm going to praise him. And even though I will be taken where I don't want to be, even though I don't like where I am, I'm going to praise him because I'm not where I should be. I should be in hell. It's not popular to say that. I should be treated as my sins deserve, but I have another day. I have breath. I can praise him because he's good. And what God wants you to do is for you to carry your doubts and allow it to bring you closer to him, to see him for who he is, not to see him for what you want him to do. And the beauty of Christ is that there's no doubting his love. The cross proves that he loves us. If someone loves you enough to die for you, they always have your best intentions. Let's pray. Uh, Thank you, Father God, that you want to encourage us this morning, that there's nothing wrong with us, that there's nothing weird about us, God, for doubting, that it's normal to doubt you, God. And I thank you, Lord, that you have answers to our doubts, that it's not what you want us to do, not what you want to change in our situation, God, but You want to change how we see you. You want us to see you for who you really are. I pray for those in this room like myself, God, who have doubts, that they would carry them, that they wouldn't allow their doubts to pull them away from you, God, but they would allow it to bring them closer to you. And with loving arms and with patient words, you say, I love you. I have a plan. You can trust me. I'm good. In Jesus' name, amen.